If you have Bibles, um, go ahead and make your way to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 24. Uh, we're going to finish out the, the chapter of Matthew 24 and then bleed over into the beginning of Matthew 25. So you can go ahead and make, uh, make your way there. John Cotter is a retired Harvard Business School professor, and he's an author who continues to write about leadership and organizational change. In 2008, he wrote a book called A Sense of Urgency. And in that book, he argues that in order to bring about change, the leaders of an organization must create an environment that is characterized by urgency. And urgency, he explains, is, quote, not the natural state of affairs, so it has to be created and recreated. I have uh, both an affirmation and a critique of that argument. Um, First, I completely agree with John Cotter about how powerful a sense of urgency is. And whether it's a major social cause or a homework assignment or anything in between, uh, a sense of urgency causes us to rearrange our lives and to get things done. Every time a store uh, holds a sale, and a lot of those have happened over these past weeks with Black Friday and Cyber Monday, every time a store holds a sale, that's all about creating urgency. It's all about buying something now because tomorrow the price is going to go up. And it's why there are certain stores that that have a one-day sale 365 days a year, seemingly. So I agree with John Cotter about this. My critique is that what he's advocating for is something I'm going to call manufactured urgency. If it has to be created and recreated, it's not real urgency. And manufactured urgency ultimately is just a tactic to manipulate people in order to achieve a goal, to achieve some ends. At the end of the day, it's really just a more sophisticated example of the boy who cried wolf. You create or you recreate urgency. You get everybody to hustle and to rearrange their lives, and it turns out it really isn't that important or that urgent at all. Now, as an employer, you might be able to pull that off a few times. You might be able to pull that off indefinitely. But the point is that at the end of the day, manufactured urgency is manipulation. It's deceitful. It's even dehumanizing to those who are subjected to it. Now, we are in our second week of our Advent sermon series called Watching and Waiting. And the scripture passages that we are looking at in this series are about the day that Jesus will come again. And as you'll hear in them, and especially in the text that we're in today, uh, this idea of Jesus coming in creates a strong sense of urgency. But the question that each of us, whether you consider yourself to be a Christian or not, the question that each of us must ask and then answer is, is this urgency manufactured? Is this urgency manufactured? Is this just a, a tactic to manipulate a certain way of living and behaving? Or... Is this genuine urgency? Something that's real, something that does not need to be created or recreated. God's redemptive story teaches the latter, that this urgency is genuine, that this urgency is woven into the cosmos. We learn in Scripture that creation itself groans in the pains of childbirth. Creation itself has this urgent longing for the redemption of God. And likewise, we as humanity groan as we wait for the complete fulfillment of our redemption on the day that Jesus Christ comes again. And that's what we're celebrating in Advent. Advent is a renewal of our sense of urgency. We look back and we see the fulfilled promises of God in the first coming of Jesus Christ, the first Advent. 
And we also look ahead and we watch and we wait for the fulfillment of even more promises at the second advent. And if this is true, that means that we have zero need to manufacture urgency. We are indeed going to be called to be busy, to hustle, to rearrange our lives. Only this time it's not going to be a tactic at all. It will instead be the only fitting way to live our lives as we align our daily practices and our pursuits with the urgency that already is. Last week we heard urgency in the words of the Apostle Paul. This week we'll hear urgency in the words of Jesus as recorded by the Apostle Matthew. So Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 36, and I'll read through uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 13. You can follow along with me as I read. And listen now with open ears to this book that we love. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give him their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not expect him. And at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. God, you have promised that Jesus will return. Make us ready for his coming, that we may consider daily what sort of people we ought to be and be found faithful servants waiting and working for our Master's return. Grant in your mercy that many may know Him and be known by Him before He comes, and make us bold in our witness until that day. pray this for His name's sake. Amen.
We're going to consider uh, this in three parts. First, we're going to consider Jesus' parables about everyday urgency. And then we're going to talk about two ways that we are to pursue living in light of that everyday urgency. Specifically, everyday urgency in holiness and everyday urgency in mission. So first, let's talk about these parables of everyday urgency. Jesus is teaching his disciples about the end of the age. And as he does, he uses a handful of illustrations and parables. First, he points out how unexpected the second advent is going to be. Jesus himself does not know the day or the hour. Only God the Father knows. And because no one knows, when it happens, it will happen in the midst of everyday life. People will be eating and drinking. People will be marrying and given in marriage. People will be working in the field or working at the mill. As Jesus points out, the people living in Noah's day had not suspended their normal rhythms and routines of life before the flood came. Until God opened the fountains of the deep, until he opened the windows of heaven, it was a day just like every other day. In the same way, the second advent of Jesus will be unexpected. It will happen in the midst of normal, everyday routines on a day that is otherwise just like any other day. And some people will be completely unaware and unprepared for that. Others, following Jesus' teaching here, will stay awake. They'll remain alert and watching, even as they carry on their day-to-day life. This day will come like a thief in the night, Jesus says, but Jesus' followers will be expecting it. We talked a little bit last week about how there's this paradox built into the second advent. For Christians, it is our unexpected expectation. It's completely unexpected in terms of its timing, but it is fully expected in terms of its certainty. Then in Matthew 24, verse 45, Jesus tells this parable contrasting a faithful servant with a wicked servant. The master of the household, which is a picture of Jesus, entrusts responsibility to one of his servants. A wise and faithful servant does what's asked of him until the master returns, and he is rewarded for that. A wicked servant, faced with the master's delay, abuses his role and neglects his responsibilities, and he faces incredibly severe consequences. And then the last parable that we read in this text today is about ten virgins, or ten bridesmaids is probably a better uh, way for us to understand it in our culture. Ten bridesmaids waiting for the bridegroom to come and to begin the wedding ceremony. Five of these bridesmaids are wise. They bring extra oil in order to light their lamps. Uh, Lamps in this day were torches made with rags that needed to be doused with oil regularly in order to keep them burning. And so running out of oil would be a little bit like running out of flashlight batteries for us. So five of these bridesmaids are wise. They bring extra oil with them. Five of them are foolish. They, They have no extra oil. So a few important takeaways from these parables. For one, they all emphasize the importance of readiness, of being ready for the return of Jesus. Jesus is the master. Jesus is the bridegroom. They emphasize preparation. But the, dip, but the definition of readiness and preparation is different than what might come to mind for us. When you and I hear readiness or hear preparation, it's just as likely that we would start thinking about something like National Geographic's reality show called Doomsday Preppers. Uh, I've never seen that show, but from what I understand, it profiles people who prepare for catastrophic or apocalyptic disasters. And they do that by stockpiling food or weapons and ammunition or by building or buying these heavily fortified bunkers. 
Okay, this is not the preparation and the readiness that is prescribed by Jesus. The preparation that he prescribes in these parables is much more about an everyday way of living that actually lines up with what he's already called us to do and to be in the world. Our preparation is what one author calls living a continuously acceptable lifestyle. A continuously acceptable lifestyle. So doomsday preparation is about stockpiling things now so that you'll be able to adapt to a new way of life later. For the most part, you're not eating the stockpiled food. You're not using those weapons and ammunition. You're not living in those bunkers now. They're for the hypothetical someday. Someday I might have to live this way, so let me prepare for that in case I do. But readiness for the second advent means adapting your life now and living that way today, tomorrow, and every single day thereafter. Another takeaway from these parables. The readiness and preparation must be able to endure a long delay. You probably heard it, you perhaps heard it as we were working our way through these parables. That's a theme here. The master is delayed in returning. The bridegroom is delayed. And really, readiness and preparation really only get tested when there's a long delay. Most of us in this room are disciplined, hardworking people. And so maybe readiness and preparation doesn't intimidate you. You've, you've been ready, you've prepared for things many times over in your life. It's not intimidating or difficult for you to think about preparing for something as long as whatever you're preparing for happens relatively soon after. So I was really ready for the pop quiz that I had in my high school chemistry class for that month or two in 1999. I did, I did well in the class. But if I were given that same test today, I would sound a little bit perhaps like Gary Johnson trying to name a world leader. I would have no idea. I would clearly fail that test. So this kind of readiness and preparation has to come from something deeper and more powerful than just hard work or discipline or human effort. God himself will have to sustain our ever-ready, continuously acceptable lifestyle. But here's the thing. This is the only way that we will ever live an acceptable lifestyle. If God enables us and empowers us to do so. And for some reason, the second advent of Christ is one of these places where Christians tend to scrap what the rest of the Bible teaches about how we live out our faith. It's as if we need God's grace to save us, to forgive our sin, to restore our relationship with God. But then we can prepare ourselves for his second coming by our own efforts. The beautiful reality is that just as Jesus' first advent was all about grace, so is his second. It means moment-by-moment dependence on God to enable us to live faithfully and urgently for as many moments remain between now and Christ's coming. So before we talk about what pursuing everyday urgency looks like in holiness and in mission, let's not overestimate ourselves or settle for a short-lived, self-willed, heroic effort that falls flat in a few days, a few months, or a few years. Right? Our everyday urgency isn't what secures our place in the kingdom of God. To pursue this kind of urgency actually demonstrates that we already are known by God. We do this because we are known by God, not in order to prove something or earn something from Him. We do this, and as we do this, it demonstrates that He already has and currently is making us His faithful servants. It demonstrates that just as God has saved us by His grace through His first coming, we trust Him to empower us to be ready and prepared for his second. 
So where are we to pursue this everyday urgency? What is that supposed to look like? Well, for one, there's an everyday urgency in holiness. An everyday urgency in holiness. Holiness is one of these words that carries a lot of baggage. Uh, It often has a connotation of self-righteousness, of being holier than thou. Or a connotation of a cold and distant kind of religion that's characterized by rules and characterized by a lot of shame for those who step outside of those rules. I I understand uh, that baggage, so I don't naturally enjoy using the word holy or holiness. But it is a really important word. It's an even more important concept. Holiness means to be set apart. And so Christians, by definition, are holy, and they are those who are being made holy. God saves and then sets apart his people. And with that new identity, Christians are then to live out a holy life, a quality of life characterized by moral and ethical purity. We imitate the holiness of God himself. If anticipating the second advent means living faithfully today and tomorrow and each day, then a big piece of that is going to be an urgency in holiness. All over the Bible, we are charged as God's people to put sin to death, to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. Titus says in Titus chapter 2 that specifically as we are waiting for the appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, we are to renounce ungodliness and to renounce worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. But we have to talk about this when we consider the second advent because Jesus is delayed in his return. And instead of holiness, delay often brings decay. Delay often brings decay. The delay of Christ's return does not naturally lend itself to us living upright and godly lives in this present age. It far more often brings decay. And we especially see this in Jesus' parable of the wicked servant. The wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed. And then what happens? Well, it'd be one thing if he just became passive or lazy. It's bad enough to neglect your responsibilities. But he goes further than that. He starts beating the other servants. He gets hammered on the job. He gorges himself on the master's food. And you might be asking as you read this, as you hear this, what kind of terrible people are these? Well, according to recent research, it's actually a good number of us. 2013, the Gallup organization put together a State of the American Workplace Report. And in that report, in that study, they found that only 30% of employees are actively committed to doing a good job. These were what they termed engaged employees. Only 30% are engaged employees. 50%, a full half of those people surveyed, were classified as not engaged employees. They are those who are checked out or who are essentially sleepwalking through work. They, They show up, they punch the clock, but that's really about it. And then the last 20% were classified as actively disengaged employees. They are those men and women who are actually counterproductive and negatively influence their coworkers. It's actually worse that they show up. It'd be better if they didn't show up at all. Now, I know that's, that study is only about one aspect of life. It's only about work. And I doubt that many of those actively disengaged employees are physically beating their coworkers like the wicked servant in Jesus' parable. But the point is, is that without an everyday urgency and holiness, we too have a tendency to decay. And not just decay into apathetic sleepwalkers, but to decay into active wickedness. The wicked servant in Jesus' parable thinks only about the present. Perhaps you heard that. 
He thinks only about the present. It's incredibly short-sighted. Deep down, he has to realize that in spite of this delay, the master is going to come back someday. The delay for him brings this form of insanity where he thinks that, that how he behaves during the delay doesn't really matter. And isn't that the same thing that's true of us whenever we sin? Sin is temporary insanity. Sin is temporary blindness. It is this short-sighted, foolish kind of indulgence that has us convinced that as long as we get our act together by the time the Master returns, that what we do during the delay doesn't matter. But what Jesus is saying here is that it does matter. And not because we don't know the day or the hour. It actually matters even more because we know how certain the return is. Now this applies to all of us. But let me speak specifically to the younger half or so of you in the room. Because a common attitude among men and women in their late teens and 20s and 30s is that I'll come around later. Maybe you don't consider yourself to be a Christian at this point. Maybe you do. Either way, perhaps you care very little about holiness. And instead, you care a lot more about what you enjoy and what's fun and what's easy, what's comfortable. Maybe you have, in certain moments, maybe all the time, this nagging sense that there are things in your life right now that shouldn't be. They're they're the opposite of the kind of life that God would call you to. They're outside of God's design for human flourishing. But you convince yourself that all that doesn't really matter, at least right now. Someday you will care about those things and you'll come around. And in truth, maybe you will. Maybe indeed you will come around. But I am begging you, don't make light of Jesus' words here. If this is your attitude at present, what you are doing is calling into question which kind of servant you are. When Jesus' delay leads to decay... And when we persist in that decay without concern, without repentance, we look a lot more like the wicked servant than the faithful one. And the outcome for the wicked servant is an outcome that I wish upon no one. So for each of us, let the second advent of Christ propel our pursuit of holiness with everyday urgency. Because what we do during the delay matters. Are you treating your body in a holy way? Even more specifically, are you treating your sexuality in a holy way? Are you filling your mind with holy things by what you read or watch or play or think about? And what are your heart level attachments? Are you attached to and driven by things that are holy? Even if not overtly wrong things, are you allowing the delay of Jesus' return to decay your body and your mind and your heart? Decay is the way that things naturally gravitate. And so fight for a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. As you're considering whether or not to participate in something, or to include something in your life, ask yourself, does this help me prepare for the second advent of Jesus? More specifically, does this help me embody this continuously acceptable lifestyle today? Jesus' delay doesn't diminish the importance of, of everyday holiness. It actually elevates that. It doesn't diminish it. It elevates the importance of everyday holiness. So pursue that with urgency. Now in addition to everyday urgency in holiness, the second advent brings everyday urgency in mission. Everyday urgency in mission. God is on a mission 
of reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ. And Advent has everything to do with God's mission. The first Advent is God sending Jesus into the world, not to condemn the world, the Apostle John tells us, but so that the world might be saved through him. And so Jesus comes and lives a perfect life, dies a sacrificial death in our place, and rises in victory over sin and death. And then before he ascends back to the right hand of God in heaven, he commissions his church to join this reconciling mission. Where the first advent commissions the church, the second advent brings everyday urgency to that mission. The parables in this text illustrate that there is this massive rift between those who are known by Jesus and those who aren't. And it illustrates that the rift isn't always apparent. In fact, in day-to-day life, it's often indistinguishable. It's the unexpectedness of the second advent that exposes the rift. So two men are in a field, one is taken and the other is left. Two women are at the mill, one is taken and the other is left. Francis Schaeffer, who's an author, scholar, theologian, once described a high ridge near where he lived in Switzerland. And the snow on the surface of that ridge looked like it was one unbroken blanket. But what Francis Schaeffer said is that the unity of that was an illusion. Because it lay along a watershed. And so some of that snow, when it melted, flowed into a valley on one side of the ridge, and from there found its way into the Rhine River. The Rhine River flows its way through Germany and winds up in the cold waters of the North Sea. The rest of that snow, though, when melted, flowed into a valley on a different side, and from there found its way into the Rhone River. And the Rhone River winds its way through France and ends up ultimately in the warm waters of the Mediterranean. The second advent, according to that analogy, would be like the hot summer sun melting all that snow all at once. It it immediately exposes this rift that might otherwise not have been apparent. And so sometimes the rift is going to be really obvious, like the difference maybe between the faithful servant and the wicked one. But more often, it's like these men in the field or these women at the mill. Or it's in these seemingly small and insignificant differences, like half the bridesmaids having oil with them and half of them not. And all of this, this rift that is not obvious or apparent all the time, that fuels urgency in mission. Because this rift isn't always obvious, it means there's urgency for us, for you and I, to have the kinds of relationships with people where we know who they really are, and we know what really motivates them. Where we talk about things that matter, and especially about how we're understanding and relating to Jesus. But can we admit that we are just not naturally good at this? The way that we naturally operate is to assume that unless someone is in an obvious crisis in their life, we assume that they're okay just like I'm okay. We look like our lives are fairly put together. Perhaps these are people that we work with. They, They work the same job as us. They live in the same neighborhood. They attend the same school. But underneath all of these same kind of appearances, there's this massive watershed based on what people actually functionally believe about Jesus. And what might look similar on the surface one day gets revealed to be something that leads to completely opposite destinations. And I'm sure you heard this. Jesus uses strong language and strong imagery to depict this. He talks about a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. This this place of eternal suffering and eternal separation from relationship with God. It's what we often call hell. This rift is not only exposed by Jesus' second advent, it is finalized by his second advent. 
And so there's this image in the parable of the ten bridesmaids of this closed door where the master does not open to those bridesmaids who weren't prepared when he came. And to our modern sensibilities, that might feel harsh. But as one author articulates well, um, what's happening in that moment is not this calloused kind of response. Listen to what this author says. He says, The bridegroom's refusal at the door is not calloused rejection of their lifelong desire to enter the kingdom. Far from it. It is a rejection of those who, despite appearances, never made preparation for the coming of the kingdom. It's not a callous rejection of people who their whole lives were trying to find a way in. It's those who, throughout their entire life, never made preparation. So let Jesus' words in in all of these teachings that he's giving here in these parables, let that stir an everyday urgency in you. There's the everyday urgency of our own holiness, our own preparation for his kingdom, but there's also the everyday urgency of mission. Because we want other people to be known by Jesus, we want other people to be welcomed into the marriage feast, which of course is Jesus' depiction of heaven, eternal joy and relationship with God. The parable of the the bridesmaids teaches that each of us has individual, individual responsibility to be ready. When the bridegroom comes, the bridesmaids who are, who are prepared, they don't share their oil with the others. And that's not Jesus teaching us to be greedy or close-handed with our lives or with our possessions. Actually, Jesus taught and lived his entire life on this earth with open-handed generosity. So Jesus here is instead teaching that it's impossible for us to transfer preparedness. It's impossible to transfer preparedness. If we love people... And most of us have these kind of people in our lives. If we love people, we will want to, in that moment of Jesus' second advent, offer some of our own preparation. Maybe even exchange our entrance into God's kingdom with another person. The Apostle Paul at one point demonstrates just how deeply he loves his fellow Jewish men and women when he says he wishes that he himself might be cut off, might be separated from God, in order that they may experience salvation in his place. But of course, Paul cannot transfer that, and neither can we. So because this rift is often subtle, because it is final, and because we can't share preparedness, part of our own preparation in this life must be inviting and helping others prepare. And so we serve people. We show them the same kind of love that Jesus has shown us. If we kept reading in Matthew 25, we'd get to this famous passage where Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. And the criteria for separation is that the sheep who are Jesus' people are those who fed and clothed and welcomed others, and especially those who were deemed inferior or deemed outcasts by society. That's the action or deed aspect of mission. Showing the good news of the gospel. And we have some opportunities to participate in this together during the Advent season. I'd encourage you to explore the things that you see in the Advent Guide, the, the drives that we're doing for great partner organizations like New Hope and Bethesda. And we'll also talk a lot more about mercy and justice ministries during the month of January. So this morning, I'll instead leave you thinking more about the conversation or the word aspect of mission, telling the good news of the gospel. In light of this everyday urgency, who can you talk to about Jesus? Even more than that, who must you talk to about Jesus? My hope is that each of us would leave here today with the names in our minds and in our hearts of one or two or maybe three real people in our lives 
with whom we can pursue a conversation in this next week or two. Maybe this is someone that you work with. Maybe this is someone that you live near, someone that you're related to and you're going to see during holiday celebrations in the days ahead. Someone maybe who even is in this room with you right now and your life might look very similar to theirs on the surface. You might even go to the same church together. But Jesus' second advent calls us not to assume, not to avoid, but to love people enough so that part of our own preparation for his coming kingdom is to invite and help others prepare too. Just as God sent Jesus to reconcile us, so Jesus sends us to be part of his reconciliation of others. So have those conversations. Think about these men and these women who come to your mind. Pray for them and pray for opportunities and then step into those opportunities to talk with them about Jesus. And I don't mean that you have to, you know, give them an altar call in that moment. I just mean talk about substantial things, especially how they understand and interact with the things of God. I'll close with this. As you pursue holiness and as you pursue mission today and tomorrow and each day, keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. When he came and dwelt among us, he lived his earthly life with urgency. Yes, he was patient. Yes, he trusted God's timing and God's plan. But he lived with everyday urgency. In John 9, chapter 3, Jesus says of himself and of his disciples, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Night is coming. Jesus said. The time when our earthly pursuits will be completed. Jesus' urgency led him to the cross, where he accomplished, where he purchased salvation and everlasting life for all who would believe. Because his urgency accomplishes that for us, we pursue the same urgency in our life. We pursue that urgency in holiness. We pursue it in mission. And so you and I must each decide Is this just a manufactured urgency, just a tactic to get you to live and behave a certain way? Or is everyday urgency in holiness and in mission the only fitting way to live your life in light of the advent of Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you sent Jesus into the world. And that in his holiness and in his mission, the urgency that he had around that, he accomplished our salvation. I pray that in light of what you have done for us, and in light of who you have made us and are making us, that you would stir in us an everyday kind of urgency in holiness and mission. And that we might be prepared, Jesus, for your coming when you come again. That we would live this, this active preparation, a continuously acceptable lifestyle. And that part of our preparation would be helping and inviting others to prepare as well. We long for the day when you make all things new, Jesus. But until that day, renew our sense of urgency over and over again until you come. Pray that in your name. Amen.